more significant than we could ever imagine. You pray with me. God, I thank you that we have this beautiful space this morning to meet in, to ponder this story, to think about what in the world it means for us 2,000 plus years later. God, I pray as we come in with all of the to-do lists still on our minds of everything that hasn't yet gotten done over the next few weeks and days, and I pray that you would calm our hearts, allow us to be present, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an insignificant thing, right? But significance is a central value of our city. We live in the tension of seeing significance all around us and of longing to be significant, all the while sensing our insignificance. It doesn't take more than an 8 a.m. ride on the subway to know that you're not very important at all, right? But the longing to be significant is innate. It doesn't have to be taught to you. Just this past year, Dan was sitting, Dan is my husband, he was sitting with our kids and was really beautiful spiritual parenting moment, right? And he's praying with them. And he had a little moment of silence and he looked at them and he said, do you, do you think that God, do you sense that God might be saying anything to you? And our sweet Lucy, who uh, was seven at the time, she said, you know, I think God might want me to be a pastor. And I'm like, that's amazing. And then Judah, who was three, without skipping a beat, goes, I think God wants me to be Captain America. <laughs> The longing to be significant is innate, and it's exhausting. It's why so many people come to a city like New York. They want to be significant. It's why so many people stay in a city like New York. It's why we work the way that we do so hard. It's why some of us, why we've chosen maybe to stay single for so long, because we have things that need to get done. It's why others of us maybe got married when we did because that was going to bring us significance. Some of us don't know what to do when we're detached from our work, or maybe as retirement is starting to approach, it's absolutely terrifying. For many of you, being here this morning is a part of whatever you have in your head of a significant life, and you're checking off your spiritual participation for the Christmas season 2019, right? The Christmas story asked how to go from chasing stardom to following the star. From star chasers to star gazers. Why would we want to shift from those who want to be the star to become a people who desperately want to point others to it, to gaze at it and let its wonder wash over us? The Christmas story shows us that we're ever going to experience the peace and the power that is talked about Christmas story, we have to learn to value the small over the need to be significant. The Christmas story and the birth of Jesus show us what it is like to celebrate the small, to relinquish the need to be significant, and instead work for the salvation of the world through a small birth of a small child in a small little town called Bethlehem. And so we're going to ask the question this morning, why is it important this birth is so small. How is it insignificant, and what do we do about it? How does this impact our lives? We're going to look at a passage from Matthew. I read there from Luke 
Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Many of us have heard the story of the wise men, of the magi, of these astronomers, these stargazers who followed the stars to find Jesus, and we're going to get to them in a minute. But I want to talk for a moment about Herod and kind of understand what's happening because it helps us see why this small birth is so important. See, the backdrop of the story of Jesus' arrival is that there was a puppet of a king named Herod. He associated himself as a Jewish person, but he was employed by the Roman Empire. He longed to be so significant that he would actually kill one of his wives and some of his children out of fear and anxiety that they would overthrow his little kingdom. Herod is anxiety-filled and insecure, hoping beyond hope that Rome will continue to expand his territory. Herod longs to be the star, right? The backdrop of the birth of Christ is all about this longing to be significant, the need for power, the need for a platform. Herod is so caught up in the rat race of significance that he's working for the empire that is oppressing people that he claims to be one of. I get it. So many of us, we struggle with this temptation and this need and this urge to be significant. All you have to do is just scroll through your social media as you're constantly scanning, okay, how many views, how many likes? Am I important? Do I matter? But it's in this backdrop that God decides to come. And that is one bigger and better than Herod. But God comes as one that Herod on a human level could crush. One that Herod could stomp out in a split second. It almost seems ridiculous that this is how Christ will come. But it's how he comes, squashable in the hands of a corrupt king, vulnerable to violence and insecure men. Every mover and shaker before Jesus and most after attempt to fight for freedom and security and salvation and a better way of life by being stronger than the last guy. More fierce, more violent, but violence always begets violence, and depression almost always begets oppression. It's this failed recipe of triumphalism, leveraging strength and power to gain significance and be in control. Our own history as a nation of America, if you think about it, it involves a group of prince who were being oppressed by a king, and they rebel, and in the process of establishing their own autonomy and authority, they oppress, right? Repetitive story, the striving for significance, trying to achieve it through strength and power. Historically, we believe that bigger and better is what's going to secure that for us. It's the way to peace. Even now, in our current political context, there's many of us going, well, if someone would just come who's better than and bigger than, then maybe everything would be fixed. But, the small savior comes little town. And he shows us something totally different. Something completely other than the norm. And the prophets, it's so different. They know something has to be here. And the magic go, there's something here. Even Herod is going, wait, there's something here. This is different. This could change things. This could break the cycle. This speaks a better word 
world is so strategic and compelling, the birth of God is significant. Because his big power play, his big check night, is completely other than every king or president or prime minister. See, when we understand the value of the small over the seemingly significant, we see that it actually points to the peaceful way of God. The way that Jesus comes, it points to this peace. So other than everything else we've ever seen in history. How is it that the smallness of Christmas is significant? If you go on in Matthew, it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. How does the smallness of Christ work? What does, this, what does this mean? Here's what we know that smallness, being small, it comes with limits. St. Augustine describes the incarnation of Christ like this. I love this quote. He says, Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, that the fountain might thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. The limitless God takes on limits as a child. Matthew is intentional too, as he this passage that I just read there that you got from is pointing back to a prophet, to Micah, where it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth for me one to be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from the days of eternity. Whose origins are of old from the days of eternity. The limitless God who was and always has been takes on limits. From the small tribe breaks into the world as a child. God takes on limits. It's completely other. It is without fail any time that my husband and I are on the tram together. He somehow thinks he's like Jason Bourne. And he starts strategizing how it is if the tram happens to plunge into the East River. I think this is a great thought, right? I'm like, sorry. How it is he is going to survive? He starts MacGyvering. He's like, well, I will jump over here, right? And I'm like, no, you'd be dead. You have limits. There's no way, right? We have limits. But in our longing for significance, we despise them. Many of us go through our lives as though we don't have any limits. I, for myself, I think I'm going to work full-time, have a clean home, have brilliant and respectful children, I'm going to bake Christmas cookies, get all of the shopping done, get in consistent workouts and have really good sleep at night, enjoy deep spiritual practices, have a great relationship with my spouse. I have limits. <laughs> limits. I don't like to live as though I do. And the prophet Micah says, you, Bethlehem, you tiny little town. You're not the least, though, because something is going to come from you. Something powerful is going to come from even your small insignificantness. Here's the thing. 
when we're operating acknowledging our limits and our smallness, it's then that the true power can come through. And that there's no question that it's God. No one will attribute your greatness to your skill set or your resume or your strength. No one is going to attribute the birth of Christ to Bethlehem being such a great town. No, it was only because of God. Smallness points to the power of God. Limits make way for the testimony of God's power, that there's something that can happen despite us. For myself, as I decided and agreed that I would step into this role of pastoring this church, knowing that I have a lot of limits. It's been a, it's been a double-edged sword me being like, oh no, this is going to be a mess. And at the same time going, you know what, if anything good happens here, if God makes himself known in any way, oh my gosh, it's only because of him. Because i got to feed all those small kids. So many of them. <laughs> I just I do, I have limits. Don't have big fancy education and big words. But there's something really beautiful about it because if there isn't anything good, I know it's from God. Valuing smallness over what is seemingly significant points to the peaceful way of God and the peace of God, and it also points to the power of God. The question is, and how? How do we engage this baby? What does this mean for us? As we see that this unique way is how it is that our God chooses to come, what then does this mean for us? I'm going to keep going here in Matthew. Herod sent them, the Magi, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another road. Side note, I just love this story. I mean, it's people staring at the stars. They don't have any kind of theology. They don't have any degree. They see a sign in the sky, and they make this crazy long journey. I don't know. I just love it. It's nuts. It's great. But it's so important for us to see how confident these magi are, right? The king and the culture are communicating clearly at this time you need to be significant. If you want your life to be secure, if you want it to be free, if you want to be in control, you have to fall in line. And what did the king say? Come back here and talk to me. Not because I want to go worship him, but I want to kill him. But they don't. They don't worry about how they are viewed in the eyes of someone who is important. Being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. These Magi are able to go against the grain of culture, and instead of being sucked into a life that is shaped around their need to make 
off of work and believe that I'm worth as much when I'm not producing as when I am. I'd like to be able to look at social media and not whether, wonder or not I should be traveling like they are or posting like they are or looking like they are. But it feels somewhat impossible. It feels like we have to keep going if we're ever going to amount to anything. How can I not care? In the same way that the Magi don't care. Magi didn't go against the grain of culture to get to God. They were able to go against the grain of culture because they had already sat with God. And this is the big difference between the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and religion. See, religion says you have to be confident to go against the grain of culture, do all the right things, and then you're going to have a chance of connecting with God. The gospel of Christmas says he's already come for you. You are already loved, already significant. It's why God came to this world. And through his limits and his humility and his love, you now have a chance to break out of the cycle that the world throws us in to be able to be present with him, to enjoy him, to experience him. You get to be people of confidence, regardless of what you've achieved, because you are already significant. You get to rest in a restless world because you are already significant to him. You get to advocate for peace instead of worrying about getting ahead because you are already significant to him. You get to gaze at the one who loves you instead of striving to be loved because you are already significant to him. Jesus, as he comes to this world as a small, insignificant child, strips himself of his significance in order to communicate how significant we are to him. This small act of a baby being born in a little town far, far away, long, long ago, was significant enough for the king to be threatened, for the shepherds to leave their sheep, and the stargazers to follow the star. All in search of the one who would give them a significance that they never even dreamed of. And that for us this morning, the next few days, even in the midst of all the craziness, all the parties you have, and the gifts to wrap, and the food to eat, I can't wait to know that this small baby coming from a small town, the way that he came. There is such beauty and significance in that. Points us to a totally different